God, as the, the songs that we were saying this morning and, and as we dedicate a child to you, uh, the, the thing that binds all of our worship together is that, that everything is, is directed at you. That, that's how things should be, that, that you are the, the God over everything, the one who created all things, the one who sustains and upholds all things. And so as we, we sing of the, the glory of your presence and, and how that is the only satisfying thing, and as we uh, rehearse the gospel in a song like In Christ Alone, going back to the, the cross, going back to the resurrection, and seeing that, that Christ is everything to us, and as we again come back to sing of, of your incredible love for us, God, may this really be the, the, the place where our hearts focus on you, not on anything else, but on you, God. So I pray that you take your word and speak it to us, your people, that we may be more and more directed at you now and always and in all things. We pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, someone recently pointed me to uh, an advertisement from the uh, Cadillac uh, car company that uh, I thought I had to share with you this morning. Why do we work so hard? For what? For this? For stuff? Other countries, they work, they stroll home, they stop by the cafe, they take August off. Off. Why aren't you like that? Why aren't we like that? Because we're crazy, driven, hard-working believers, that's why. Those other countries think we're nuts. Whatever. Were the Wright brothers insane? Bill Gates, Les Paul, Ali. Were we nuts when we pointed to the moon? That's right. We went up there, you know what we got? Bored. So we left. Got a car up there, left the keys in it. Do you know why? Because we're the only ones going back up there, that's why. But I digress. It's pretty simple. You work hard, you create your own luck, and you gotta believe anything is possible. As for all the stuff, that's the upside of only taking two weeks off in August. Nespa. I hope you can just feel the, the pretension and the arrogance kind of coming off, can't you? There's a lot of stuff to talk about here. But what I want to get to is that, that opening question here. Why do we work so hard? The answer that the Cadillac ad gives is because we're crazy, driven, hardworking believers. They don't say what they're believers in what exactly, but crazy, driven, hardworking believers. But I want you to look at your own life for a second here. Is that the answer to why you work? Is that the answer to why you work hard? This morning, we're going to learn how to think in a Christian way about making a living. Most of us will have to uh, work a job in order to uh, earn an income to make a living. There are some people in the world who are independently wealthy. They don't have to make a, an annual income or work a job and those kind of things, but most of us are not in that category. So, so we find ourselves uh, working at a job, trying to earn enough money to keep a roof over our heads, keep clothes on our bodies, and keep food on the table. And we end up spending a lot of hours every week uh, at our jobs, working to try to, uh, to put together a livelihood. And many of us have been working for a long time. I think I started working at age 14 or something like that. And many of you have been in the, the same boat. We spend a lot of time at work. So how can we learn to think about money and work in a specifically Christian way? How, how does God interact with that? So I think it's easy for us to think that money and work are disconnected from our relationship with God, but Proverbs is going to indicate that that's actually not true. And indeed, the Bible is saying all of life is integrated to our relationship with God. So how we think about money, how we think about work, all of this ties in with our relationship uh, with God. 
So this morning, we're looking uh, at what the book of Proverbs says about money. We're actually going to take two weeks to look at this. Uh, this week, specifically, about what uh, Proverbs says about earning money, and then next week, about what to do with that money uh, once you get it. So this morning, we're, we're, I'm calling it this, uh, uh, Making a Living Without Destroying Your Soul. So it might be a little bit of a dramatic kind of a title, but uh, the danger is there nonetheless, so I decided to go with it anyway. Uh, so how do we approach money and work from a specifically uh, biblical wisdom kind of a mindset? Well, Proverbs is going to give us uh, two principles for how to make uh, a living without destroying your soul. Uh, the first principle that it gives us is, is this. It says, the wise person works hard to make a living. So Proverbs is just full of verses that warn us against laziness. Uh, we'll start in Proverbs 10, 4 and 5. Uh, verse 4 gives the principle, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. And then an example of that in verse 5, He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. So it's saying laziness leads to poverty, and, and diligence, hard work, leads to wealth and, and a livelihood. Proverbs is pointing out to us that if, basically it's saying if you don't work, then you can't expect to eat. And so Proverbs uh, 19, uh, 15, we can see the next uh, verse here. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless go hungry. So similarly, uh, chapter 20, verse 13. Do not love sleep, or you will grow poor. Stay awake, and you will have food to spare. In other words, there's a connection between our work and being able to put food on the table. This is uh, the language that Proverbs is using here. Saying you can't expect to have anything at harvest time if you haven't worked the field and planted and and watered and all these things. Uh, So Proverbs 24 gives the opposite side of it. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. That's actually kind of a a funny picture if you think about it. Here's the sluggard. They haven't done anything to their field in planting season or during uh, the growing season, but they're still out there at harvest time hoping that maybe something has grown up. They're going to get something out of this. You and I say it like this. You reap what you sow. And that saying is actually from the Bible. It's actually from Galatians 6, 7. And it's true not just figuratively, which is how you and I tend to use it, but also literally. So in an agrarian culture where farming was a more prominent and more common vocation, as in the days of Proverbs, Proverbs is basically just reminding us how things work. If you're going to have a harvest, you need to work the land. You need to put in the effort to it. Now, Proverbs has a particular word for the lazy person. It's the word sluggard. We just came across it in Proverbs 24, and and there are repeated warnings throughout here against being a sluggard. So uh, Proverbs 15, uh, 19 says this, The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. In other words, they're reaping what they sow. They haven't cut back the thorns, so it's blocked by them. A sluggard is going to experience the the ill effects of their laziness. And then there are some kind of funny statements along the same lines. One of my favorites is in Proverbs 19.24. Listen to the word picture here. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. I mean, that's a picture of abject laziness. You can't even put the effort into putting the fork from your food all the way back up those 18 inches to get back into your mouth. This is how, how the uh, Proverbs kind of uh, uh, makes fun of the lazy person, makes fun of the uh, sluggard. 
So Proverbs, the, the, the wise person here, as they're instructing their children, instructing people in the way of God's wisdom, they're looking out at the world, they're looking at how things work, and, and this is what they see. This is a little vignette of the, the lazy person from Proverbs 24, uh, verses 30 to 34. Listen again to the, the picture that's being painted here. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. This person, this wise person, looks out at the world and says, It's hard to make a living. And if you're lazy, you're going to find it almost impossible to be able to make ends meet. Laziness leads to poverty. That's the, the, the consistent message of the book of Proverbs. Laziness leads to poverty. Now, of course, we do have to qualify that because the, the Bible is also acutely aware that poverty is often the result of injustice. And so in the prophetic books in particular, there's, uh, the, the biblical prophets are decrying the injustices that are causing poverty among the poor. And Proverbs is aware of this as well. So you get Proverbs uh, chapter 13, verses 23. An unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. So even where there is a chance for the poor to be uh, well-fed, injustice comes and takes that away. So injustice is another reason that, that people become poor, but, but Proverbs is specifically teaching us to avoid self-induced poverty. So if you are struggling to make a living, we, we have to look at ourselves and ask the hard question, am I struggling because I'm lazy? I met someone at a previous church who was having a hard time uh, making ends meet financially. He was a nice guy. He had a wife. He had uh, two little boys. And, and I really felt for him. He had had a good job, but he had lost his job. And so we were praying uh, alongside their family for a, a new job. But later I found out that he had lost his job for a really good reason. This wasn't cutbacks and stuff like that. He was fired because he was a lazy worker. He wasn't diligent at what he was doing. So he, he would be often, uh, during work hours, having these long phone conversations with his wife and kids. And, you know, that's one thing. But then on top of that, he would spend a significant amount of time making food, preparing food, and then eating it at his desk. And, and then the real kicker for me was this. He would come into work and just take long naps at his desk during the workday. And people would ask him about it and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I had a rough night with the kids. I'm tired. And then he would put his head back down on the desk and start to sleep longer. In other words, sometimes... Our financial difficulties are because we're just not diligent. Sometimes we've been fired for a good reason. We've lost our job because we're just lazy. We haven't been diligent at the work. Proverbs is teaching us that if we're going to make a living, we've got to work hard at it. We've got to be diligent in what we do. The wise person understands how hard it is to make a living in this world, and they put themselves to the task with diligence. And so as Proverbs is warning against laziness and against the sluggard, it's also commending to us diligence and hard work. And so uh, we could go back to that opening uh, proverb we looked at, Proverbs 10.4, and to see the difference here. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. The message of Proverbs is that those who are, are hardworking will end up with enough food. Proverbs 12.11 uh, is, is an example of this. Those who work their land will have abundant food. But those who chase fantasies have no sense. 
And this is actually an important point here because you might not have your dream job today. Many of us don't have our dream jobs today. We're taught in, in school to you know, pursue your dreams and all those things, but, but Proverbs warns that you can't just chase fantasies without sense. If you've got land, if you've got a job, then, then do that with diligence and you will be provided for. You'll have enough to, to put on the table. And it's not just that we'll get the staples necessarily, but those who are diligent, who work hard, they might even get some, uh, some venison steaks along the way. And so 12, uh, 27, the lazy don't roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Now, Proverbs is basically is trying to give us the, the promise that if we work hard in God's good providence, we will tend to be rewarded. We will tend to have results from uh, working hard. Uh, so 14.23 says it like this, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So, we might want kind of a, a get-rich-quick kind of a scheme. We might, might want money to come in a little bit more easily. But Proverbs is saying, no, no, you've got to work hard at it. What God has given you to do, do that to the best of your ability. Do that with diligence. That's how God is providing for you. So Proverbs thirteen eleven, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers little by little makes it grow. In other words, you can't expect just a fountain of cash coming in uh, as every day of work that you, that you go to. It's little by little. That's how God's providence tends to work. We shouldn't expect money to come easily in the world that we live in, but in God's good providence, our plans, our diligence, our hard work will be rewarded. So Proverbs 21, verse 5, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And then a good one at the end, uh, toward the end of the book, Proverbs 28, verse 19. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. And of course, it's not just hard work in itself. It, it's hard work in line with God's goodwill, in line with, with his way, with, with the way of justice and righteousness. So we get reminders, uh, warnings here in, in Proverbs 21, uh, verse 6. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. Or similarly, in, in chapter 20, verse 17, food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but one ends up with a mouthful of gravel. And the reason this is true is pointing back to the source. Where does wealth come from in the first place? Where does provision come from? It comes from God himself. And so we go back to Proverbs 10, 3. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. In other words, the wise person understands that God is the one who watches over the whole world. He is the one through whom all good things come. All blessing, all wealth is from his hand. Ultimately, he is the one who watches over. So whatever money or, or anything else that you might be able to accumulate while you're living in rebellion of God, it's nothing. It's a fleeting thing. It's worthless. So instead, we are commanded to walk with God, to pursue diligence in our work. And as we do so, we acknowledge that all good things come from his hand. So Proverbs 10:22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. So the first principle that we learned from uh, Proverbs on, on how to make uh, a living without destroying our souls is, is diligence. It's the wise person works hard to make a living. Now, Proverbs has no sympathy for uh, a lazy person here. 
And if you keep reading the Bible, you'll discover that the Apostle Paul didn't have any, uh, any uh, sympathy for lazy people either. When he writes uh, his second letter to the, the Thessalonians, he warns them against being idle. He says, remember the rule that we had among you. The one who is unwilling to work will not eat. So instead of kind of spiritually coming up with an excuse for laziness or using something else as an excuse for laziness, we as Christians should be diligent in our work. See, what we do at our job and our vocation is part of our obedience to God. How you work is part of being a disciple of Jesus. In the workplaces, we as Christians should be known for diligence and for, for hard work, for our ethics. Why? Well, because we have a more important boss than the one who signs our paychecks. See, a lot of people end up working to either avoid trouble from their boss or to get good things from their boss. And so when the boss is around, they will be diligent in their work. They'll look like they're hardworking people. They'll kind of pick up the shovel and dig a little harder. But when the boss is gone, their work ethic has gone with it. Or they'll try to do projects that they know are kind of pet projects for their boss, and they will kind of catch their eye without doing the important things in their job that they need to be doing with the same level of diligence because they're just working for a human boss. But if you're a Christian, your human boss isn't really the one that you're working for, ultimately. If you're a Christian, then Christ is your king. And what that means is that everything you do is done in reference to him and in obedience to him. So, for example, at home, if you're a parent, you are not boss or king over your family. You are a servant of God given by him for the good of your family. Or if you're a student... You're not a slave to your teacher. You are there as a servant of God to learn, to grow, to develop as a person, and to pursue God's good there as a witness to his glory and his grace. And so, too, in our jobs at work, you are not a slave to your boss. You're not ultimately working for, for him or her. You are a servant of God put there to diligently work hard so that you can earn a living to provide for yourself and your family and to provide for those who are not able to work and who cannot have a job. You are there to be part of, of God's kingdom work, to better his world by, by being a, a good electrician or a good carpenter or a good accountant or a good whatever your vocation is. The way you do your work matters, and it's part of your obedience to God. It's part of making a, a better world under his, uh, uh, under his guidance and for his glory. So the book of Colossians says it like this. Uh, Paul says this to the, the church in a summary of all this, uh, what it means to live under Christ as a community. Whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And it's an all-encompassing statement. Whatever you do, whether your words or whether your actions, it includes work, vocation, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus to the glory of God. Okay, so the first principle here is, is that wise people have to work hard to make a living. It's about diligence. And the second uh, principle for how to make a living without destroying your soul is that the wise person is content with what God has given them. So Proverbs, on the one hand, is warning against laziness, idleness. It's commending to us hard work and, and diligence. But it's also warning us against making money ultimate, against chasing money for its own sake. So Proverbs uh, 23, verses 4 and 5. A couple of great verses here for us. Do not wear yourself out to get rich, and do not trust your own cleverness. 
cast but a glance at riches and they're gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. See, in God's good ordering of the world, hard work is generally rewarded with results. So you reap what you sow. A diligent farmer will enjoy a good harvest. But working hard can, can quickly turn into workaholism that's fueled by an insatiable desire for more. And this is particularly rampant in, in our culture. Materialism is, is, a, is a rampant part of, of what it means to live in the United States right now. So we have all these voices, all these influences, uh, trying to get us to want more and more and more. And in pursuit of all the more, we can very easily and very subtly get trapped into thinking that, that money is the source of happiness and that if we can only get more money, then we'll have more happiness. But Proverbs is saying, no, no, no. Money is fleeting. It, it's it's going to sprout wings like an eagle and just fly off. It, it's here a minute and then it's just gone. And further, Proverbs points us to the greed in our own hearts. It, it, it equates greedy hearts with, with the, uh, the endless desire of death and destruction. Verse, uh, chapter 27, verse 20. Listen to the parallel here. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are human eyes. See, our greedy eyes, our desire for more and more and more, that's parallel to death and destruction. Now, this is who we are. We're, we're greedy people. We tend to be that, and that is fueled by everything around us in our culture. More and more and more. And you look up, you think, well, if I get that next level, then I'll be happy. And then you get there, you think, well, if I get that next level, then I'll be happy. I remember uh, hiking once in high school at a place called uh, Landmark Gap off the Denali Highway in Alaska. It's this place where there, there are two mountains and then there's a lake in the middle here. It's a beautiful area. Um, and some friends and I had decided to camp there. And after we set up our tent, had dinner and all that, we decided to hike up uh, some of these little uh, mountains along the sides here. Not the big ones that you see in the picture there, but uh, some shorter ones that, that had a couple ridges. So, so we're walking uphill and we see a, a ridge uh, up above us, and so we think, okay, well, we want to see what's on the other side of that ridge, so let's, we'll get up to that ridge, and then we'll call it good, we'll come back down, we'll see what we can see. So we're climbing, climbing, climbing. We finally reached that point uh, where the ridge line was, only to discover that, that wasn't actually the, the ridge line, that was just uh, a false ridge. From there, the, the mountain keeps going up, but just the slope of the mountain changes, so from below, it looks like that's the top, but once you get there, you see that it just keeps going up, up above there. I, you might not know this because you're from Michigan. It's called, a, it's called a false ridge, right? You get up to that point and it just keeps going. Um, you have this in your sand dunes, right? So we went up to uh, Sleeping Bear Dunes several years ago, and my, my wife and, and August and I, we climbed this big dune, and we were expecting to see Lake Michigan on the other side. And if you've ever done that, you get to the top, this huge dune, and there's just more dunes. So you, you can't actually see the lake. It's the same thing up here on Hamlin Lake on the northwest side there. You get to that big dune, you climb up, and you think, oh, Lake Michigan's going to be here, and it's just more dunes and more dunes. Well, it's the same kind of thing with mountains, except they just keep going up and up and up. So we did this two or three times. We kept looking up, thinking, okay, that's probably the ridge. We want to see what's on the other side of that, so let's keep hiking. Three or four times we did that, and always we came across more mountain going up. Chasing money is the same experience as, as climbing up there to get to that view, climbing up to that false ridge, and then you think that that's going to satisfy. If you get that just that little bit more, just that, that next income level, but then if you succeed in getting it, you see that that's not actually satisfying. That doesn't actually get you what you want. And so you look up to the next income level, or the next promotion, or the, the next new thing, and you set your sight on that. And if you can attain that, you'll discover that, again, it just keeps going. You're not satisfied with it. Our hunger for more is insatiable. It cannot be satisfied. So what's the solution to this? 
Proverbs gives tons of hints, including here in Proverbs 15, 16. It says this, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. If we want to be content people, if we want to have satisfaction, then we've got to come to this starting point, the fear of the Lord. That's what a life of wisdom is. A life of wisdom is a life of fearing God. It means knowing him and all of his glory, knowing him and all of his splendor, and standing in awe of who he is. So what you need to be satisfied, to be content, is not more stuff. What you need to be satisfied, to have meaning and purpose in your life, is God himself. And so the wise person sees what God has given and is content in that. Proverbs 19.23 is a great verse that, that demonstrates this. Hear it. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and then one rests content, untouched by trouble. I love that last little phrase there, untouched by trouble. That's what contentment that comes from the fear of God if that's the fruit of contentment that comes from the fear of God. Because if you fear God, if you really know him, then you're not going to fear anything else. Because you know the one who's in charge of everything, the one who watches over his world. And you'll know that he loves you and he cares for you. So if you fear him, you're, you're free from, from all of the trouble, no matter what your circumstances are around you. God is the source of a content life. And so we find this great prayer at the end uh, of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30, uh, verses 7 through 9. This is part of the sayings of, of Agur. He comes across this uh, great prayer. He's going to pray for two different things here. Uh, the second was, is what we're really concerned with here. This is Proverbs 37 through 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Here's the first one. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And here's the second one. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. See, that's the prayer of someone who not only understands human nature, but also understands the glory of God. He's saying, just give me enough for today. Give me enough provision that I have food on the table because if I get too wealthy, I'm going to think I don't need you anymore. If I have too much, I'm going to forget about God and think that I am like a God. But if I have too little, then, then I'm going to be tempted to, to go against God's will. I'm going to be tempted to steal and then dishonor the name of my God. So give me my daily bread. Enough, not too much, not too little. Give me my daily bread so that I can be satisfied in you. So the second principle here is to be content with what God has given you. Be content with God's provision. So yes, be diligent. Yes, work hard to earn a living, but be content with God's provision. See, Christians are to work hard because we serve King Jesus. If you work hard to earn more and more money so that you can buy more and more stuff, the result of that is that you're never going to be satisfied. Because then you're working for yourself or for money or for power, prestige, whatever it is that you're working for. You're not working for King Jesus anymore. The mighty dollar has taken the place of Christ. Proverbs is showing us how destructive that really is and how dissatisfying it ultimately is. So if we're to make a living without destroying our souls, Jesus has to be on the throne. He has to be what we want more than anything else. And when he is, when he is our great treasure, when he is the one we are working for, then we are able to rest content. And you know what? The New Testament teaches the same thing. 
Paul writes a letter to the Philippians, and, and he's uh, kind of requesting funds from them. He's telling them the joy of giving. But then he qualifies it. He's saying, this isn't about me. This is Proverbs, uh, excuse me, Philippians 4, uh, 11 through 13. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. In other words, Paul has had abundance. He has had poverty. He's lived both sides of it. And he's able to say, in all things I am content. Why is he able to do that? Because he's put his whole life in God's hands. He values God more than stuff. He values God more than anything. And so no matter what the circumstances of his life end up being, he is content. And so he can say uh, right later to uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Then he explains why. Verse 7, For we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And here's the danger, verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And Jesus said the same thing. He's directing his people to understand that, that all good things, all good provision comes from God's hand. So, so he, he points them to the world around them. He's saying, look at the birds. See, you guys worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow. But look at the birds. The birds always have enough food. Why? Because God provides for them. And you're more valuable than birds, so God's going to provide for you too. He points to the flowers and says, you worry about what you're going to wear, but look at the flowers. They're more well-dressed, so to speak, than, than anything in all the world. And they don't work hard for it. God just provides for them. So he's, he's saying God is the one who provides for you. And then there's this life-changing uh, command at, at this, as the summary of that statement. This is Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That really is a life-changing command. If we take that, if, if we truly seek God's kingdom more than anything else in all the world, then we will be fully satisfied. Then we'll be content. Because God's kingdom is surely coming. It's guaranteed by, by God himself. See, God's kingdom is the place where, where God is king. So the secret of contentment is to want God's reign where he is king more than anything else in all the world. Because if you want that, well, then you're going to get it. If you truly want God's kingdom and God's righteousness more than anything else in all the world, then you will never be discontent. You will never be dissatisfied because you've got what you most want. God's rule in your heart, in your, in your life. And you know that he will come in the end, send Jesus to bring the full consummation of that kingdom where every wrong is righted and we get to live in the presence of God forever. So if you really want God's kingdom more than anything, you'll be content. That's the secret to contentment. I think money is, is one of the areas that should be the biggest contrast between Christians and those who don't yet know Jesus in our culture. The biggest contrast should be that we simply don't love money. We understand that money is just a, it's just a thing. It's a tool that we use to gain shelter and sustenance and be able to provide food and shelter and sustenance for other people. But it's not the driving force of our lives. For many people, this is the driving force of our lives. But for Christians, it cannot be. 
We seek God's kingdom first, and so money is just a tool. It's just a thing. So work as diligently as anyone. We should be hard workers, but we work with contentment, recognizing that, that God has provided for us because Jesus is our king. That's what our heart should be here. And because of that, we can rest in contentment with the great security of knowing that God will take care of us no matter what. And so we should follow the charge that's found toward the end of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 5 charges us with this and then gives us promises connected to it. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So here's how to make a living without destroying your soul. Work hard, be diligent in making a living, and rest content in God's provision for you. Now let's get back to that Cadillac ad for a, for a moment here. It asked the question, why do we work so hard? And it answered it by saying, because we're crazy, driven, hardworking believers. And then my favorite line is uh, talking about going up to the moon. He said, yeah, we went up there, and what did we get? Bored. And the great thing about this commercial is that as you listen to it, as you watch it, it demonstrates within itself the very emptiness of the vacuous lifestyle that it's trying to sell to you. So right away, the ad recognizes that the stuff, the nice pool, the nice house, the nice car, the stuff can't really explain fully while we work such long hours to the neglect of our family, who seem to be kind of an accessory to him. The stuff can't explain that. Stuff can be kind of the perk of, of working these long hours and only taking two weeks of vacation in August and all this stuff. But it can't really explain why we keep driving and driving and driving for stuff. Why do we work so hard? The stuff can't fully explain it, so we have to look somewhere else. And those other countries that he kind of brushed off that think we're crazy, they're not actually better off than us, but they can see that we are crazy. They can see that we are chasing after something to give us meaning, but we can't find it. Even after putting a man on the moon, this incredible accomplishment, even then we don't find satisfaction. Even then we keep driving for more and more and more. Here's why. This is important. Because everything that you pour your life into to try to find meaning and value and purpose and significance is empty apart from the God who created you. Because you were created to live your whole life worshiping the good God who made you. That's what you were created for. That's what you're looking for in your life. If you're looking for it in, in working, if you're, if you're a workaholic trying to find meaning and purpose and significance in that apart from God, you will always be dissatisfied. Always. So the best this Cadillac ad can say is, hey, we're crazy, hardworking, dri driven people who can never be satisfied, but at least we get some nice flashy stuff to enjoy while we do it. It's a celebration of meaningless workaholism. So you can spend your whole life chasing the dollar. You can spend your whole life chasing the next level, the next promotion, the, the next new toy, the next boat, the next nicest car. You can spend your whole life trying to make a name for yourself, trying to gain a reputation or something. And you'll find that it's meaningless. The next book in the Bible after the book of Proverbs is Ecclesiastes, and that's the testimony of Ecclesiastes. You see everything under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything is meaningless. Everything is vanity apart from God. That's what a life of wisdom is understanding. So 
That's what we need to understand to begin to be able to think about money from a biblical perspective. That's not the driving force. Let's be clear on this. Money makes a terrible God, a horrid God. If you try to make money your God, it will eat you alive and destroy you and leave you meaningless and empty. It's simply a tool. Money is just a tool. And next week we're going to begin to think about how to use that tool well for God's purposes and what God has called us to do with that money that he has blessed us with. But for now, we've got to start with this. For our life to have meaning and purpose, God has to be at the center of it. He has to be the driving force. Everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So we're called to work hard. Yes, God has, has called us to be diligent, to earn a living so that we can provide for ourselves, so that we can provide for our families, so we can provide for those who cannot earn a living for themselves. But we do so as servants of Christ, our King, resting content with whatever God has given us. And then you will be able to rest truly content, the true contentment of knowing that whatever comes, whatever your circumstances, your life is in the hands of a loving, gracious God. See, more than anything, you need Him. You don't need more money. I mean, yes, you need more money, but you don't need more money. You need Jesus. He is the, the thing that will satisfy you. Please pray with me. God, money and stuff are some of the biggest idols of our day, some of the biggest things that distract us from seeing you in all of your glory and all of your splendor. I pray that you'd come and speak to our hearts by the power of your Spirit so that we would treasure you more than stuff, you more than money, you more than our jobs or vocation or anything else. God, if we're seeking something other than you, would you please convict us of that? Please show us that that that's empty, it's vacuous, there's nothing there for us so that we can see that what's truly valuable, what's truly meaningful is you. You have given us the great treasure of your son, Jesus. God, may we seek him. May we love him more than anything that this world has to offer. We pray this in his name, our Lord, our Savior. Amen.